you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The, the verses will be on the screen as well, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Do you want the good news or the bad news first? We've all heard that phrase before, haven't we? Well, the gospel that we're going to be talking about this morning is the good news. The question is, does the good news also have bad news? We're going to be answering two specific questions this morning. Number one, what is the gospel? And number two, how does the gospel apply to me? So number one, what is the gospel? The gospel, first of all, is Christ dying for our sins in verse 3. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see, it's important for us to understand why is it that Jesus had to die. He had to die for sinners like us, for sin that needed to be paid for. When Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, he was told by God that he would die. Now, how exactly did Adam die? Adam died in two ways, physically and spiritually. Physically, his body started deteriorating. We all can attest to that. As we've grown older, our bodies are deteriorating. We're coming closer and closer to death. There's typically a cap on our lives if we just live out the natural process. You see, you and I also have another death to deal with that Adam had, which is spiritual death. Death is not the ceasing to exist, it is the separation. The separation from the goodness of God. You see, you and I have a serious condition that was passed down to us genetically by our parents, Adam and Eve. And that is sin. We are born in sin. Adam in the Garden of Eden disobeyed God and partook of the fruit that God said not to eat of. And many people today have a contradiction to that all the time because we assume that all of us start off innocent and good. Scripture teaches us something different. We are born sinners. Yes, we are born this way. And unfortunately, what most people don't realize is by taking what Scripture says and misapplying it, twisting it, turning it into something that it isn't, we've redefined the gospel. We've redefined the good news of salvation. Because if you and I are good by default, then why do we need Jesus? What are we doing here this morning? What's the point of celebrating a Savior who died on a cross and rose again? 
That's why it's important to understand that sin is essentially an offense against God. It's missing the mark. You see, you and I don't need to be taught how to lie. We do it naturally. I don't think any of us have ever sat our children down and said, you know what, here's how you lie. They did it all on their own. We never had to teach our children how to throw a tantrum. They did it all on their own. I mean, even adults throw tantrums, right? Like, it doesn't even matter if it's a small child. Sometimes even as adults, people throw tantrums. Nobody had to say, hey, you know, you probably should throw a tantrum right now. No, that's just by default. We do those things. Why? Because we're sinners. You don't need to define sin apart from what God says. Because if you and I define sin apart from what God says, our definition will be inaccurate. See, the way we mostly define sin, if you use that word and you're not brought up in the church, you typically view sin as something that's really bad, right? Something like murder, adultery, uh, rape, incest, all those kind of things. Those are the things that you typically identify as sin. And God defines way more than that as sin. The problem with, with this view is that defining sin without God's definition is essentially sin. It's missing the mark. It's literally saying that what God calls sin isn't sin, so I'm going to define myself as God. And I'm going to create my own definitions. One way that we miss the mark is simply by not believing what he says when it comes to our need for a savior. You see, Jesus says this himself in John 3, 16 to 21. Listen to what he says. And most of us are familiar with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You see, so many people think that they're just fine the way they are. I don't really need God in my life. I don't really need this religious stuff and Jesus Forget about it. I'm doing just fine. What they don't realize is that Jesus points out clearly in this text that not believing is already marks a mark for condemnation before God. That's the default. Jesus points out that God sent his son, that's Jesus, to save the world, not to condemn the world. Why? Because by default we're already condemned. We're already born sinners. The world was already condemned. And why was it already condemned? Based on this text, they loved their sin. And they didn't believe that Jesus was necessary for salvation. And that may be you this morning. Maybe you're holding on to that sin saying, you know what, I really don't want to let go of this. If I have to trust Jesus, then this is going to have to be taken care of. That's exactly why he came. Because not a single one of us in here have performed the way we ought to. Not a single one of us stands before God justified by what we've done. It is all of grace. You and I are already condemned because we are sinners. 
you and I don't get to tell God what he should do about our condemnation because God has already provided a way of escape, and that is Jesus Christ. God did not leave us hanging. God did not say, here's your proclivity. You are destined for judgment and condemnation, and I've given you no way out. He's given us Christ. He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ to provide a way of escape. So we see the first thing is that we see that Christ dying for our sins is a part of the gospel. The second thing that we see is Christ's resurrection from the dead in verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The whole message of the gospel needs to include the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it does not, it's not a complete gospel. If we just have a Savior hanging on a tree who's dead and no longer alive, we've wasted our time. We've wasted the reason for our existence as believers on this earth. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our beliefs are empty, as Paul puts it in verse 17. This is in the Amplified Version. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and powerless, mere delusion. You are still in your sins and under the control and penalty of sin. So if Jesus never rose from the dead, we are wasting our time. Calvin nails it when he says, For our sins, that is, that by taking our curse upon him, he might redeem us from it. For what else was Christ's death but a sacrifice for expiating our sins? What about a satisfactory penalty by which we might be reconciled to God? What but the condemnation of one for the purpose of obtaining forgiveness for us? He speaks also in the same manner in Romans 4.25. But in that passage, on the other hand, he ascribes it also to the resurrection as its effect. That it confers righteousness upon us. For as sin was done away through the death of Christ, so righteousness is procured through his resurrection. This distinction must be carefully observed that we may know what we must look for from the death of Christ and what from his resurrection. You see, if Jesus just suffered for our sin, but the Father did not accept the sacrifice, then the righteousness of Christ cannot be applied to us. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been given access to God the Father. When Adam sinned against an infinite God, one who has no beginning and no end, the only way that relationship with God and man could be restored is for perfect atonement to be made on behalf of mankind. And that representative had to represent both deity and humanity, which is why Jesus had to be God and man. This is why Jesus Christ had to be God himself, having no beginning or end, and take on human form and be a man as well, to stand as a representative of the human race. The doctrine of the Trinity is crucial in understanding the gospel. If Jesus was just a man, his death would not have accomplished anything, as the sin was committed against an infinite God. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is God, and that his payment was sufficient on behalf of man. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then there is no salvation of man. Salvation is not complete without the resurrection. There would be no point in us celebrating Jesus Christ as our Savior and God 
This is such a key point of the gospel. Tim Keller says this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Essentially, Jesus has always been this way. All or nothing. Jesus doesn't want partial followers. Jesus has always wanted followers that follow him to the very end. Ones that believe from beginning to end. Philip Schaeff says this, Without his resurrection, the death of Christ would be of no avail. And his grave would be the grave of all our hopes. A gospel of a dead Savior would be a miserable failure and delusion. The resurrection is the victory of righteousness and life over sin and death. Bottom line, every single one of us here, we have to come to that decision ourselves. What do we do with Jesus? Do we believe him? Do we believe he really is God? Do we really believe that the gospel applies to us? Because the key element of the gospel is also a messenger or someone that shares the gospel with us. Maybe you were brought here by somebody that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to commend them for doing so. Because the gospel is always brought by a messenger. God always sends the church out to bring others to Christ. This is what Jesus has called his disciples to do. So if you're outside the faith, understand that we have been changed by this gospel and we can't help but tell you about it. This is what God has called us to. This isn't just some special club to come into on a Sunday morning. There are plenty of other things we could do. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Make much of him. We all heard the gospel from someone else that was rescued from sin as well. So here's a question I have for you. If you're, you're kind of doubting some of this, it's like, how many of us have actually seen George Washington here? Anybody actually seen him in person, face to face? So how do we believe, how do we believe that, G, that George Washington actually existed? Because of eyewitnesses and written accounts, right? Because someone that saw him wrote it down for you. Notice the people that are mentioned in this text in 1 Corinthians. Verses 5 through 8. And that he was seen by Cephas, that would be Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep, that means that they've died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me, that is the apostle Paul, as by one born out of due time. So Cephas, who's known as Peter, is mentioned first as a witness because he was witness to a credible, he was a credible witness because he's actually the first disciple that we read the big sermon that he preaches in the book of Acts, declaring to those that don't know Christ of the very Messiah that was murdered and that rose again. Paul then mentions the 12 disciples that Jesus appeared to at one time. Thomas doubted, as many of us have, whether Jesus actually rose from the dead. 
You might be one of those. You're probably skeptical of all this. You're going, hey, you know what? It's a good story. I'll be here. I'll do what I got to do. But essentially, Thomas was a skeptic just like you are. In fact, when he saw Jesus, he finally fell down and worshipped. He says, my Lord and my God, recognizing who Jesus really was. If you turn to John 20, 29, Jesus makes an amazing statement to all believers that have not physically seen him. He says, Jesus said to him, this is to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, we're a part of those. We have never seen Jesus in physical form. But we believe that Jesus has existed and is still existing and will always exist. Because he's eternal. The Son took on human flesh for us. Thomas refused to believe it unless he saw Jesus, though his friends did. You see, Thomas had other disciples that he had spent time with, and they said, listen, we saw Jesus. He says, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not accepting that. Until I see it for myself, I won't. And that's the choice that you're presented with and I'm presented with. Are you going to believe what God has done through someone else for yourself or not? We must believe by trusting, not because faith has no evidence, but rather whose evidence do we believe? The skeptics or the followers of Christ, the disciples? Paul then mentions over 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus at one time. Emphasizing to the church that he is writing this letter to that most of these people saw the resurrected Jesus were still alive at this time when he wrote this. He then mentions James, who's probably James, the brother of our Lord, in Galatians 1.19. In fact, for those of you that are skeptical, James is a brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe that Jesus was really God until Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel, according to the Hebrews, quoted by Jerome, says this, James swore that he would not eat bread from the hour that he drank the cup of the Lord till he should see him rising again from the dead. James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe Jesus was God until after the resurrection. Paul then mentions the apostles, those particularly commissioned by Christ as he ascended. Last of all, he included himself as one prematurely or out of due time. Paul didn't get all the credentials that the others did by default. He was called on the way to Damascus. Because you see, Jesus met him when he was against him. Jesus meets all of us when we're against him. Because Jesus came for enemies of the cross. He stood against Jesus for most of his life and literally persecuted, imprisoned, and killed other Christians. Jesus reveals himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, another journey to kill more in prison, more Christians. Paul, from that moment on, was never the same. He goes on to write the majority of the New Testament that we have today. And many would argue he is the most passionate, dedicated follower of Jesus that has ever existed. Opposed to Christ, spiteful, hated Christians, imprisoned them, killed them, 
turn to a follower of Jesus, the most passionate person that's probably ever lived that followed Christ. So we see what the gospel is. Here's the question for all of us today. How does the gospel apply to me? How does the gospel apply to me? Well, first of all, it must be received. We see that in the first part of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. The gospel itself must be received in order for it to be a benefit to any of us. You see, just hearing about Jesus and what he's done means nothing if it's not been received in faith. Salvation is not something we do anything to earn. No amount of good deeds will secure eternal salvation from the future judgment of God in the lake of fire. Salvation itself also has past, present, and future ramifications. So when it comes to the past, Jesus deals with the re removing the penalty of our sin, death by his death on the cross. He removes the penalty. We no longer have spiritual death to worry about, which is separation from the goodness and glories of Christ. Number two, the present. It deals with the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over us. We can choose not to sin. We have the Holy Spirit. We can have victory over sin that we struggle with. Now, there are plenty of Christians that are hypocrites in this area that give up the fight when they shouldn't. But that is something the gospel accomplishes. It gives us the power to fight sin. And this is probably my favorite one. The future ramification, it deals with the presence of sin. We no longer will be bothered by sin. It will not be present when we leave this world. You and I will no longer have to struggle with the things that we struggle with. And those struggles are different for all of us. What you may have struggled with when you were a teenager may not be what you're struggling with as an adult. Sin destroys all of us, though. Sin wrecks marriages, wrecks homes, wrecks families, wrecks churches, wrecks societies. Sin is what destroys this whole human race. Because sin essentially is apart from God, living apart from Him. All these ramifications don't mean anything to us if we don't receive the gospel. So how is it that we receive the gospel? Let me make it simple for you. You believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus paid for your sin. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day. That's a key element of the gospel. Many want to deny that point, but without that resurrection, it doesn't even matter what we're talking about. You believe that Jesus, who is God, came to this earth on your behalf and paid the penalty for sin. He died and rose again, paying for our sin. So how, how does this apply to us? Well, we need to be those that receive it first. And you're one that says, hey, you know what? I've already received it. Sermon's over. I'm all set. Nope. It also must be affirmed. The second part of verse 1. And in which you stand, present. The idea is one of building on that foundation, not shifting to another foundation. You see, you might be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know all of this stuff. You were brought up in this, but you've shifted. 
The ones that received the gospel also stood on the gospel. They did not shy away from defending the gospel. Believers are to stand firm in their understanding of the gospel and not turn the gospel into something that it's not. A means to God apart from Jesus Christ. You see, so many people start with Jesus and then continue on their own. That's a lot of people today in the church. Lord, I need you to save me for eternity, but today I got it. I'm going to figure out my problems right now. I don't need you. That's not the Jesus you said you trusted. This is particularly why Paul mentions that the gospel is one that must be held on to. So many claim to stand for the gospel, but they don't even know how to define it, which is why we talked about that earlier. The last thing and how it applies to us, it must be held on to. Verse 2, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, this statement by Paul is not declaring that all the Corinthians believed in vain. Rather, it is a reminder in strong language that Paul had already preached the gospel to the Corinthians. This past tense preaching event is evident from the statement that Paul opens up with verse 1, where he says, I declare you the gospel which I preached to you. He had already preached to them in the past. Preach is a past tense. Paul previously preached the gospel to these believers, and Paul's warning is, unless you have believed in vain. This refers to the admonishment that he gives Corinthian believers that if they had not believed Paul's gospel, but accepted another gospel, then they didn't believe the right thing. Another gospel of another kind. That gospel is not the true gospel. You see, there are many people that throw words around all the time, save, salvation, gospel, God, And the definitions are very different from what God's word clearly says. Which is why it's important that we hold on to the gospel. The one that's declared in scripture. Because this would make our belief vain if we're proclaiming any other gospel than what's revealed in scripture. It's empty. For the gospel that Paul preaches saves, not another. But as he says, there's some that trouble and twist the gospel of grace. Paul in Galatians 1, 6-9 says this, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the, gospel of Christ, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who per- trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Look at these, these words by Paul. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul is saying that even if I or even an angel preaches anything else than what we've preached, that's false. It's not to be trusted. In Galatians 1.6, to a different or another gospel, the Greek word another or different means to transpose two things, one of which is put in place of another. That is a swap. 
You see, a lot of people swap the gospel today. Here's what the Bible says, here's what I think the gospel is, and I'm going to swap it. That's no longer the gospel. The word here means a gospel of another kind, not the gospel of Paul. The Galatians believers, like so many today, are turning away from Paul and his teaching of the gospel of grace into the Judaizers where they're teaching of salvation by works of the law. There are many people that say they believe that salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, but then they add works as the requirement, and it is not. Works is born out of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. You can't twist those two. In Galatians 1.7, which is not another, the Greek word another here means that it's not only a gospel of another kind, it's not a gospel at all, it's apart from it. Paul speaks of the Galatians turning to a gospel that is false in its doctrine. The Galatians are turning to an oppositional gospel, diametrically opposed to the message of the Apostle Paul that's been passed down to us. Then Paul makes sure that you didn't miss his point. So he says in verse 8, but even if we, meaning even if I stray from this, you should not believe it. If an angel comes to you and declares something completely different, don't believe it. And he repeats it one more time in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than, than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now some of you are probably going, what are you talking about? What are these other gospels that we're referring to here? Well, I'll give you a few that are modern today to many of you. Many of you have probably heard of these. And I'm telling you, they're an absolute abuse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're false gospels. The first one that we'll talk about is the gospel of works that Paul mentions here. This is the assumption that we can save ourselves by following the law, by following what God says to the best of our ability. The problem with this gospel is that it negates for Jesus to save us. If we can save ourselves by just performing better, why do we need the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the point of him coming to this earth and dying on a cross for us? If all it was was a performance standard, if we just need to do a little bit better, what was the point? This gospel is pushed by those that live their life thinking they can undo the sin in their life by trying to be a good person. Let's not kid ourselves, we've all done it, right? You have a terrible day, you're not living right. You know, the next day you're like, all right, I got to do better today. I'm going to pay for the coffee behind me at Starbucks, right? Like, that's our equivalent of being a better person today. I blew up on everybody yesterday, so I'm going to be nice and kind. That's what many people view salvation to be. Just do a little bit better. As long as I'm a good person, maybe I go to church, don't lie blatantly. A few white lies are okay with God. Just don't outright lie. As long as I don't defraud someone intentionally, like I didn't mean to, I'll be spared the judgment of God. And somehow God will let me into heaven. I'm qualified because I'm pretty good. Unfortunately, you're missing the standard of God's word. The pretty good that you and I hold to is not what God says. 
Jesus ultimately has very little to do with my salvation. My performance matters most. This is a false gospel that's taught in the church today. If you're basing your salvation on your performance, you've missed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saves because man can never be good enough, believers. Jesus came because you can't do it. If you could, he'd ask you to do the same thing he did. But you can't. You can't live a perfect life. Ultimately, the idea is man just doing better and they can be saved. That is a false gospel. That does not save. It never addresses the problem of sin because we can never be perfect, which is God's standard. God is holy, wholly separate from us. That is why the Holy Spirit has to indwell the believer to sanctify us. Here's another gospel. It's preached in many churches today. You'll find it even in churches this morning that talk about the resurrection. The gospel of license. This view is quite popular in the church today in that it abuses what Jesus came to save us from, from sin. This gospel has destroyed many churches in America because what it has done away with is the need to stand firm and to stay in the faith and to live a holy, upright life before God. It is the other extreme. It is saying, you know what? It's not about our performance, so my performance doesn't matter. I'll just do whatever I want. That's a false gospel. They make blanket statements that since God forgives, you don't need to worry about living a holy life. That's false. That is not what Scripture presents. Concept nowhere taught in Scripture. Repeated constantly by false teachers even today. The concept of sanctification is thrown out and replaced with good feelings. As long as I feel good on Sunday, I got my worship experience, I can do whatever I want the rest of the week. That's a false gospel. God loves me the way I am without a need for biblical instruction. The Bible really doesn't matter. As long as I'm not going to hell, I don't care. Who cares about the church? I have a relationship with Jesus without having to love his church. Jesus came for the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of his church. There's no grasp of the value of the cross. I can sin all I want. That is a person that does not value what Jesus has done. That is a false gospel. There's no grasp of the value of the cross. The problem with this gospel is it doesn't view sin with the gravity that God does. Because it doesn't realize that the death of Christ is what it took. Feeling bad about something does not mean you understand its implications. We all feel bad when we're guilty. But not all of us stand forgiven understanding what it is that we've been condemned of. Criminals feel guilty when they're caught. But in order to make amends, we need to restore that relationship with God, and that is only done through Jesus Christ. 
Here's another one that's big. It's taken, a, it's taken a hit during the pandemic. The prosperity gospel. It's a big one that lost some ground lately with the pandemic and how the financial situations have turned out for many of us. Many are not seeing as much success. So they're doubting their salvation, thinking God has abandoned them. Well, that's a false gospel. You should not be banking on prosperity as the means to grace. It's not like God said, hey, you know what? Here's your uh, gross income. That's what I'm looking for. Now you're saved. That's not how it works. That's a false gospel to assume that everybody needs to be successful financially in order to have Jesus. And that God promises prosperity out of that. When a pastor's goal is to preach to make people happy, that is how they grow their church. You are bound to have many false professions of faith because it's not grounded in scripture. It's to make someone happy. God's promise of salvation has nothing to do with riches on this earth. Else the very disciples that followed Jesus would have not had the end in their life that they did. Most of them died as martyrs. Talk about prosperity. Didn't work out so well for them. God has promised that he will take care of his own. And prosperity comes from doing things in accordance to scriptures. That's why you follow the book of Proverbs. There are truths that if you apply them, there is a result for that. But that is not an outflow of the gospel message. Those are not to be blended together. This gospel prosperity does not and will not ever save a person. The riches that we have in Christ are found in him and him alone. In what he will one day give us in eternity. Now you also have what I would refer to as the poverty gospel. You have people that go the other extreme with it and assume that by not having much in this earth, that means that they really love God. Essentially because Jesus came with nothing and I have nothing, that means I'm saved. That is not true. In fact, Jesus was actually buried in a rich man's tomb, by the way. There are people with resources that God has always used. There are people that didn't have as much. They've existed as well, followers of God. Prosperity and poverty don't qualify you as a child of God. There are many false gospels out there leading only to destruction and eternity far from God. There's only one gospel that saves. And that's the one that Paul is declaring here simply. Here's what he says. Jesus died for our sin, was buried, and he rose again the third day, giving us eternal life with him. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You don't have to overcomplicate it. You don't have to go through 50 different things to get to the gospel. It's simple, but it's so profound. It's simple, but so many people still trip over it. It's simple, but we still fight against that truth because we're thinking, that's ridiculous. That's good for you guys. I mean, it's working out for you. Yeah, I know. You're religious folks. I get it. Truth is this. When you stand before God, it is going to matter. It'll matter a lot more than you realize. And just because you are on this earth today and you have breath today does not mean that you are guaranteed tomorrow. God is reaching his hands out 
and mercy. His Holy Spirit works in people's hearts, raises the dead to life. That is essentially a supernatural work of God. And my prayer for you and the prayer of those that are saints that really care for the gospel message to be reached this morning is that you come to saving faith today. That you don't take this for granted. That you realize that Jesus didn't come just so you could have a better life. Jesus had everything he ever needed and ever wanted in his fellowship with the Father. The Son was in perfect unity with the Father in all of eternity. He didn't need us. We need him. If you come to Christ, you're not making his day. He's making yours. Mercy and grace is what it's all about. Undeserved mercy and grace. Scripture makes it clear. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one believes unto righteousness and with, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in closing, here's a simple question. Do I believe the gospel? Do I believe the gospel? Do I believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, and died and rose again for my sin? Or can I earn my salvation by just performing a little bit better than I did? Being a kinder person, not drinking as much, coming more often to church. Look, all of those things are good, but they don't save. Do I take what he's done for me on the cross seriously? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but you've just kind of taken this whole thing lightly. You've kind of jumped into the licensed gospel. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I can sin all I want. God's fine with it. Like, Jesus already paid it all. That's abusing the grace of God. Don't do that. Why would you want to do the very thing that caused Jesus to suffer on your behalf? Why would you want to continue to sin if you're a follower of his? Maybe the cross has become of little to no value to you. Today's your day to repent on that. To turn. Say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for abusing the grace that you've given me. Don't think that you can just do what you want. It's all covered. That's not the gospel. Do I see myself as a sinner still needing God's grace? You see, some of us, we've walked with God for a while, and we kind of tend to go, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I don't need to change anything. I'm doing all right. The truth is, you still need him today like you did when you first met him. This doesn't just apply to the person that's never met Jesus. This applies to those that have known Jesus for a long time. You still need Christ today. See, the gospel is a simple message that's been misrepresented from the time it was presented by the Apostle Paul. People have always twisted it for a long time. People today have twisted it. It's important that we don't take it lightly and understand the power it has to save our souls. God wants us to persevere as believers in believing this gospel as much now as we did when we first were saved. Maybe you've kind of had the light go out. 
Maybe the fire has kind of died out in your faith. Maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I haven't gone to church in a while. I haven't really made God a priority in my life. Maybe today is the day that you go, you know what? This Easter, 2023, I'm going to make it a priority again. I want to make God a priority in my life again. And maybe you've never met Jesus, and this is the day you finally see him for who he is. Maybe this is the day that you go, you know what? All this crazy stuff that my relatives have told me, my friends have told me, those that are Christians have told me, it makes sense. I'm the one that's messed up. I need Jesus. The gospel changes our lives in that we now see our sin differently. We see the church body differently. The word of God also convicts and encourages us. All of these things would not be possible if it weren't for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time here this morning. But if he did, you and I need to seriously consider what we do about that. Some have already made the choice. I'm not going to hear. I don't want to listen to this anymore. I'm just doing this for formality just because I'm going to, I told people I'd be here. You're not doing it for us. And you never will. Because your walk with God is your walk with God. Not a single one of us in here can pray you into heaven. You have to accept Christ. And by the way, once you leave this life, there is no second chance. There's none. You don't get a redo, a do-over. That's why what you do matters in this life. If you do not know Christ and have never believed the good news of the gospel, may today be the day that it all changes. May today be the day that it finally turns, the light bulb turns on, and it, you finally see it for what it is. That it isn't foolishness. It's foolish to a lot of us when we don't know Jesus. It seems stupid, silly. Why would we believe in some man that died on a cross that existed over 2,000 years ago? And it isn't until the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, enlightens us, shows us the value of the cross that we go, oh, that's what it is. And Jesus becomes precious. He's valuable to us once again. May today be the day that you make things right with God. I plead and I beg that you do not leave without knowing Christ. Because the truth is this, folks. There's a lot of things that I can do to encourage you in having a better marriage, a better home life, a better family life, a better employee, better spouse, all this stuff. I can encourage you with all of those things. But if you don't know Christ, all of those things are secondary. Because the examples that you find in the word of God are ultimately found in him. All of those things that God would want you to do are found in Christ because he's done them perfectly for you. He's committed no sin. Because he committed no sin and he died as a representative for us, God's wrath was justified on our behalf. Which is why when he rose from the dead, God swaps his righteousness for our filthy righteousness. Our dirty rags, the scripture calls it, because our righteousness is garbage. It's filth. None of us can present anything before God that is of value when it comes to our performance. Because God's not going to be judging at a scale later on whether you go into heaven. Because the righteousness of Christ is a totally different currency than the one that you and I possess. And you and I don't have that righteousness until we have accepted, received the gospel. As scripture says, as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. 
the right to become the sons of God. Josh McDowell says this, No matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. So by way of closing this morning, I want to encourage you. If you do not know Christ, come see me. Come see one of the leaders in this church. If you have a family member that's brought you here that knows Jesus, talk to them. There's nothing more important than that today. There's nothing more important. So many of us have plans for the afternoon and all that. I promise you this is way more important than all that that stuff that you're going to do. The Holy Spirit speaking, don't ignore. Accept the Lord Jesus this morning. Let's close in prayer.